Ladies and gentlemen, a very warm welcome to St. Paul's Cathedral and to this Sunday Forum organised by our Adult Learning Department in which we will be reflecting together upon the great Advent themes of light and darkness. I'm James Milne, minor canon and sacrist, and it gives me great pleasure to welcome as our speaker Barbara Moss, a priest and freelance writer who has spent many years in theological education, most recently as a tutor in Christian spirituality at Serum College. Barbara was an assistant spirituality advisor for Portsmouth Diocese and has varied chaplaincy experience in prison, university, community mental health and hospital settings. Her books include The Treasures of Darkness and Encircling a Christian Year. Barbara will speak for about 40 minutes, following which there will be an opportunity for us all to ask questions and share our own thoughts. So please join me now in welcoming Barbara. Thank you very much, James. And can I just say what a, a delight it is to be here with you today, despite the vagaries of British Rail and their engineering works <laughs> <laughs> and, and bus replacement services and all the rest of it. But anyway, we made it, so it's uh, a, a great, great delight to be here. Um, just a few words before um, we, we get into it to sort of talk about the pattern of this session. Please don't worry, I won't be talking solid at you for 40 minutes. Um, there will be some spaces and pauses for reflection and quiet. And um, you should see, I've given you some handouts, one of which is a short Advent liturgy. And we'll be using that together to complete the talk part of this session, okay? Um, so can I just check that you've got all three elements of these handouts? One is a, a rather lovely picture that I wish was bigger, but that was the best I could manage, I'm afraid. So you should all have a circle of life picture. You should all have an Advent liturgy. And the other thing is a short book list, which has just got uh, six or seven books on it, I think. But what I've done is I've, I've written a little bit about each one so that hopefully that might help you to decide if you want to um, buy or borrow or not, uh, if you think any of them might be, be helpful to you. Now, when Elizabeth Foy contacted me back in April, it seems like a lifetime ago, but a long time ago, and asked me if I would come and um, lead this session today. She gave me quite a broad brief. She said, oh, can you please talk about the seasons of the church's year and, you know, how they work in the church and, and, and how we relate to them? Can you also talk about the, sea, the normal seasons, the spring, the summer, the autumn, the winter, the normal repeating seasons, and do they relate together? And when you've done that, can you please talk about Advent? <laughs> and she then said, I'm sorry, this is rather a lot. <laughs> so, I'm going to do my best, but I don't want to flood you with simply words, because 
if it's anything, this time of Advent, um, difficult as it is in the commercial run-up to Christmas, should be a time to stop, take stock, pause, reflect. So we're going to try our best to make sure that that is a part of what we, we do um, this, this morning, this afternoon. So first of all, can you just pick up and have a look at that picture that you, you've all got a copy of? <clears throat> I don't know if anybody recognises it, do they? What it is, it's an illustration of a vision of that wonderful 12th century German nun, Hildegard of Bingen. Uh, who may or may not be a familiar name, but she was an incredible lady who lived on the cusp of the end of the 11th, beginning of the 12th century. Um, she was a visionary. She um, was the superior of uh, a, a Benedictine community. Uh, she was a counsellor to kings and popes. She was a preacher. She was a theologian. She was a polymath, really, in general. And what I, why I've reproduced this picture for you today is she called it the circle of life. And in it, and it's, it's quite small, and I apologise for that, you know, a bigger one, you would see the details more clearly. But if you look at the inner circle, what you've got is a lot of trees, all in various stages of growth. So some have no leaves on at all. We've got the winter season. You've got the leaves coming into leaf, coming into fall leaf in the summer and then moving around the circle and you can see all those little orange, orange drops falling, the leaves coming down in autumn. So this circle of life, as she called it, follows the natural seasons round in a, an endlessly repeating cycle. But it's not just trees, because there are people on this cycle of life as well. And these are, you know, really we need to be transported back to the 12th century to uh, fully appreciate um, the symbolism all, all of this. But basically, you've got people working in the fields, doing the work that is appropriate for the particular season section that they're in. And again, you've got this continually repeating pattern which goes on and will do till the end of our world. And the outer circles, you've got all kinds of symbolism which again are medieval cosmology really. But the whole is um, putting across to the person looking at it that actually the whole of this is encircled by God's love and held in being. So the natural cycle of our world and all that goes on on it is held in being by the love and the protective holding of God. And although our world today is very different from Hildegard's world, that same encompassing, holding and protecting, we believe, is there and constant and holding us. And alongside of that, the church, as it began to develop, um, 
started to develop this idea of seasons of the church's year. And we're in one of the major ones now. We're, we're at the, this is the second Sunday of Advent uh, in this looking forward to the coming of Christ at Christmas. And we'll be spending some more focused time on that a little bit later on in this talk. But we may be familiar uh, with the cycle as it continues. We move through Christmas and Epiphany where Christ's glory is shown forth to the world. And then sometimes, in some years, very, very quickly, we're into the beginnings of Lent and the build-up to the next major festival of Easter, of Christ's death and resurrection. And on through that, through Whit Sunday to Trinity Sunday, Pentecost to Trinity Sunday, and then into that long, long period, which is known rather... Uh, mundanely as ordinary time where you know it, it, it was interesting I read a column recently where I, I think it was Angela Tilby in the Church Times where she was saying that there has been some move to introduce more seasons in this long long period of ordinary time um, because you know nothing really happens you know we, and we can't have nothing happening can we <laughs> And she was saying, look, it's ordinary time for a purpose. Because for most of us, most of the time, that's the way life is, isn't it? The mundane routine of day to day. And to actually see and experience that uh, reflected in our church's life, which in itself is reflecting the life of Jesus and the periods of his life is actually good for us, it's what we need. You know, it's not all festivals all the time. We, we would probably never cope if, if, if it was. So we have this long, long period over um, ordinary time, which then towards the end builds up to what um, the, the prayer book celebrating uh, common prayer used to call the kingdom season. Now, common worship has dropped that title, but it still tends to use November as a season where there are awful lot of saints' days. Obviously, you've got the whole thing of remembrance as well, all saints and all souls, and lots of saints' days dotted through it. So that has a particular focus, and it's leading towards, leading towards the beginning of Advent, when the whole sequence of the church's year starts up again and we begin to look forward in anticipation to the coming of Christ. I'm going to pause just for a moment there and I would like you please just to give a moment thought to wherever your church fellowship is, it might be here, it might be somewhere else in London, I don't know, um, but how conscious of you are in you in your church environment of the um, sequence of the church's year? Are you aware of being carried through a sequence as you come and worship week by week? Or is it sort of a bit more free-floating? And if so, is that a good thing or a bad thing? Just give it, I'm not going to ask for answers on a postcard or hands up or anything, but just give yourself a minute to reflect on that. 
and whether or not it's something that you find helpful. I think there's quite a lot here about the importance of pattern and structure, which of course affects us in all kinds of ways, not just in our church life. When I was thinking about this, I found myself taken back rather further uh, than I'd expected to my infant school days, when I was about, well, I must have been about five years old, I suppose. And I have no memory at all of school assemblies but what I do remember is that in our classroom, we started every single morning by singing all together that little hymn, Glad That I Live Am I. Does anybody else know that? Glad that I live am I, that the sky is blue, glad for the country lanes and the fall of dew. After the sun, the rain, after the rain, the sun. This is the way of life till the work be done. All that we need to do, be we low or high, is to see that we grow nearer the sky. Now, as a five-year-old, of course, I imagined this all sort of gradually. <laughs> as I've hopefully grown up a bit and maybe learnt a bit more, I came to see that although that little hymn was not mentioning God, it was talking about growing closer and closer to God as we go on day by day. And we began every single morning with that in our classroom. And then in the same classroom, at the end of the day, we sang again. And that was, now the day is over, night is drawing nigh, shadows of the evening steal across the sky. Jesus, give the weary calm and sweet repose. With thy tenderest blessing, may mine eyelids close. And I, look, I, looked this, I googled this hymn uh, a few days ago, and actually there are masses of verses. We didn't sing them all, but those two I do remember. And looking back, what that did for me at that time, although I didn't realise it consciously, obviously, was it gave every single day a shape and a pattern and a sort of holding thing. And it wasn't just a human-imposed holding. It, it had God in there. And then we went around, you know, the rest of our day, and I didn't think about it, but my goodness, it stayed there in the back of my mind. So the, the, the idea of pattern and sequence and the need that we have somehow to have some structure.
when I was in my teens, I was part of a church which, again, I was very aware of the church's year and the changing colours of the, the vestments and the altar frontals and things like that. And I took it completely for granted. And it was only when, in the mid-90s, as a fairly newly ordained priest, I found myself at a church which just didn't follow the liturgical pattern at all. And I felt lost disorientated, and I didn't really know where I was from week to week. I mean, don't misunderstand me. There were a good many good things that happened at that church, but it tended to happen on a let's have a go at this this week kind of basis. Um, you know, or we haven't had any teaching on Romans or Ezekiel or John for a while. Let's do that next month. And we did, whether it was Lent or Advent, Christmas or Easter, or those long, long weeks of so-called ordinary time. It tended to be on the whim of whoever had this week's particular good idea. And some good stuff came out of that. But what didn't come out of it was any sense of the unfolding and repeating rhythm. So I think I want to ask you, just for another minute's reflection, think of your own life in its wider context. How do you create a sense of order and rhythm in your own days and weeks? Now, that might seem a silly question if you spend most of your waking hours commuting or at work or being at home with small children, etc., etc., fill in the gaps. And in theory, it's easier for those who, like myself, are retired and don't have grandparent responsibilities. But please note, I said, in theory. How many times have you heard somebody say, I'm so busy, I don't know how I had the time to work before, once they've retired? But whichever scenario you feel you fall into, the question is basically the same. How do you, in the midst of all the givens in your life, how do you carve out those necessary oases of space to nurture your relationship with God and to nurture and minister to your own inner needs? And we'll just have a minute to think about that. One of the questions that I was asked to raise was about the relationship or not 
between the cycle of seasons in the church's year and the cycle of seasons in the natural world. And one of the books on your book list that I'd just like to highlight in that respect, I don't know how many of you are Church Times readers. Those of you who have seen the Church Times might be familiar with uh, Ronald Blythe's word from Wormingford columns on the back pages of the Church Times. Ronald Blythe is uh, a writer of, he's, I mean, he's, he's in his mid-90s now, and still writing, and still working in the church. Um, he's a writer of many years standing. He is a reader in the Church of England. Um, and this column, he simply writes from his house in, in his home village, and has done for years and years. And what he does, I think, better than anybody I've ever come across, is he lives the seasons of the church's year, and the seasons of the natural world, and the seasons of his own life, as a completely seamless whole. Most of us find ourselves living, you know, our church life, our home life, our work life. He somehow manages to hold them all together and lives them as, as one continuous whole thing. And so, if you're feeling that your life is fractured and fragmented and that you find it difficult to hold it all together, um, I would recommend one of his books. And the book that's on the, on the book list that I've given you is one of a sequence which Canterbury Press have published, which is really just reprintings of these columns from the back of Church Times. And if you read them, you know, one a day or whatever, you begin to get a sense of just how seamless a whole this man's life is, whether it's work, whether it's home, whether it's uh, out talking to various gatherings, whether it's working in his garden, whatever it is, somehow the thing seems to be held all together. And I find that something, somebody who finds it very easy to live in a fractured way, most, most helpful and encouraging. And the other book that I would um, maybe just commend to you in terms of the seasons of the church's year is, is this, this one of mine, the Encircling the Christian Year. Basically, it's a set of liturgies for every, every week of the church's year and a lot of what I call the red letter days, the saints' days and the festivals thrown in. So very, very short liturgies which can be um, read through um, within a, a matter of minutes. Um, but, you know, for busy lives, um, sometimes it's these little, short, um, these little short passages which can be most help to us. Right, to Advent now, and I've lit a candle. Because Advent, um, I don't know if you're like me, but up until, I suppose it now is about 15 or 20 years ago, was when I was working in London. Um, I was chaplain at the Royal College of Music, living in a flat in Kensington. And 
I started in the September term, so of course the nights are drawing in and we're getting towards this time of year. And Advent, up until that point, hadn't really registered with me as a special time, particularly. Uh, like most of the rest of the population, I tended to get caught up in the frantic run-up to Christmas, whether it was the commercial side of it or whether it was the church, actually, because the church also, I think, tends to get caught up in the frantic rush uh, with everything that's happening. But one thing I, I did one morning was I was up early, I'd woken early, it was very, very dark, and I simply went into my lounge and I lit a candle and I sat in the dark with this candle lit. Now, no books to read or help me, nothing really planned, but I found that sitting there in the dark of a winter morning with a candle lit, it brought alive the season of Advent to me like I think nothing else could have done at that time. It, the, it, the, 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 sim, the season is full of the symbolism of light and darkness and you find it in scripture too. You find uh, the readings of the, the Old Testament people who are looking and longing for the light and they talk about the watchman standing on the city walls, straining his eyes, looking for, for the dawn, that first glimmer of light, which says that, that dawn is coming, morning is not far away. And so from that time, really, the light and the dark um, has been a very uh, powerful thing for me, um, generally, but, but especially in this season of Advent. The book that I um, wrote a number of years now ago called The Treasures of Darkness um, really emerged out of this light in the darkness in, a, in an Advent morning experience. But it was one particular verse which really set me going because it wasn't what I expected to hear. It was thought for the day and it might have been Angela Tilby again, or it might have been Lavinia Byrne, I can't remember. But she was talking about this verse from Isaiah, I will give you the treasures of darkness, riches hidden in secret places. And it sort of hit me between the eyes, because I thought, what, what is this? this isn't the usual take on darkness, is it? Because, um, you know, in my early Christian upbringing and my later Christian experience as well, darkness had all been always been treated as something um, rather suspect. You know, darkness is evil, confusion. Um, you know, it, and that was the strand that was, was sort of promoted. And, and here was something that's saying, I will give you the treasures of darkness riches hidden in secret places, which of course is anything but negative. And so the book grew out of a desire to explore this more positive strand of darkness, which is there in abundance in scripture, if we look for it. And in that book, I hope I've tried to chase up some of those, some of those strands. But it came back to encapsulate Advent for me. So the book, actually the first four chapters are based on the Advent weeks, 
the last six chapters are based on the Lent weeks. So it, it, it actually um, serves both seasons. The season that we know as Advent didn't, wasn't there right from the beginning. It's not until the sixth century that we begin to get a sense of Advent as we know it today. It's not until the sixth century that readings begin to appear in the services uh, about uh, the Annunciation, the visits of Mary to Elizabeth, John the Baptist, the, some of the themes that we recognize today. And what, there's, there's so many ways we could look at it and we obviously haven't got the time and it wouldn't be helpful. But what I would like you to, uh, to encourage you today is to, to think of these three aspects because they're all there in Advent, whatever way we look at the season. And that is, we're encouraged to think of Advent in terms of the past. O come, O come, Emmanuel, and ransom captive Israel, that mourns in lonely exile here until the Son of God appear. Way, way back in Old Testament history, the people of Israel were looking and longing for salvation, for the Saviour. And these themes are encapsulated in some of our most wonderful traditional uh, Advent hymns. So Advent past, we're asked to identify with the people from all that time ago who, like us, look for God, long for more of him in our lives, long to walk a closer walk with Christ for us. So there's Advent past. There's Advent future, which perhaps doesn't give, get quite so much consideration uh, in our, our, our dealings with Advent, but it's there. Lo, he comes with clouds descending, once for favoured sinners slain, Thousand, thousand saints attending, swell the triumph of his train. Christ appears on earth to reign. So when we think about the future advent, the future coming, we are catapulted forward from countless centuries back to countless centuries, maybe, we don't know, but time that we can't put a, a limit to to that time when we believe our faith tells us Christ will come again. And our experience of Advent now um, encompasses that future dimension as well. And then the third one is, is really like the jam in the sandwich, if you like. If Advent past and Advent future are the pieces of bread, here in the middle, we have Advent in the present. Now, here and now, today, with you and with me, with whatever is going on in our lives, Christ seeks to come today, now. So this second, this dimension, the present dimension, comes with our longing for Christ to work in us, our resistance 
to Christ working in us because we, it's something we tend to want and not want at the same time sometimes. And again, it's there in the Advent hymns. O come thou day spring, come and cheer our spirits by thine advent here. Disperse the gloomy clouds of night and death's dark shadows put to flight. All right, and whatever for us are the gloomy clouds of night and death's dark shadows, Christ seeks to come into the midst, bringing his light and his love and his peace. Now I'm going to finish the talk part there and we will just have a moment's quiet and then we'll turn to the liturgy. And what, what I've done with this, I'm taking us on a, a little bit of a, a concentrated journey through Lent, okay? And we're going to travel through following the themes that the church traditionally tends to take. So Advent 1, is the patriarchs, Abraham and Sarah, uh, Isaac uh, and Jacob. Advent 2 today is the prophets. Advent 3 next week will be John the Baptist and then Advent 4 tends to focus on the Virgin Mary. So in the next few minutes um, we, will, we will travel that journey and, of course, it will open out in slower time through the rest of the time between now and Christmas for each one of us. And as we come to each section, I'm going to light a candle, as we do with that massive, massive wreath upstairs. Uh, we'll have our little miniature one here uh, as we travel through um, the, the season. So let's just be quiet for a moment. And when we come to words in bold, please could you join in with me? As we prepare to leave this holy place and to continue our own journeys through the light and darkness of Advent, we stand for a few moments alongside those whose words and actions have, from ages past, pointed us towards the coming of Christ. And the Lord stood beside Jacob and said, Know that I am with you and will keep you wherever you go. Then Jacob awoke from his sleep and said, Surely the Lord is in this place, and I did not know it. I will give you the treasures of darkness, riches, riches hidden, hidden in, in secret, secret places. places. 
Almighty Father, all eternity resounds with the promise of your coming Son. In the company of the patriarchs and all who have yearned for his coming in ages past, may our hearts be glad and our spirits refreshed as we too wait in hope for the promised dawn. For Jesus' sake we pray. Amen. Here is my servant, whom I uphold, my chosen, in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. I will give you the treasures of darkness, riches hidden in secret places. Almighty God, in times of old you spoke through the prophets, infusing their words with the hidden presence of the Christ to come. May our hearts be attuned to your prophetic voice today, and may your gifts of grace and discernment reveal to us the hidden Christ veiled within the darkness and light of our world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. In those days, John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness of Judea, proclaiming, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven has come near. I will give you the treasures of darkness, riches hidden in secret places. Almighty God, you set John the Baptist apart before his birth and called him to prepare the way of your Son. Open our hearts 
to his message of repentance and humility. And may we, with him, proclaim the coming of Christ with the whole of our being, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Then Mary said, Here am I, the servant of the Lord. Let it be with me according to your word. I will give you the treasures of darkness, riches hidden in secret places. Heavenly Father, you called Mary to be the mother of your son, with Joseph as her husband and protector. As she trusted you when all seemed lost, so help us to put our faith in you when all around are hostile and unbelieving. For you are our Father, and you will not leave us to face our trials alone. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. And then, at last, we will arrive on the threshold of Christmas. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who lived in a land of deep darkness, on them the light has shined. I will give you the treasures of darkness, riches hidden in secret places. Eternal Trinity, we celebrate the advent of the Word made flesh. Enlighten our hearts as we remember the miracle of his coming to us, the inspiration of his living among us, the sacrifice of his dying for us, that death itself may be vanquished, and all creation restored to the Father's heart of love. We ask this in the name of Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. Barbara, thank you so much for your wonderful reflections. That, uh, our Advent reef upstairs uh, <laughs> is built on a, a, an old wheel from the bell tower uh, on which a rope has uh, 
hung to, to ring the bells. And I just thought it was a, a, a rather a use of clever recycling, but actually it helped <laughs> us with a whole reflection on kind of the wheel of life and the prayer advent in the past and present. I will look on that in a, a new light. Uh, mm. So thank you thank very you. much. Does anyone have anything you'd like to ask? <coughs> uh, yes, she'll fire away. So yes, sir. Thank you very much for the talk. I, I was reflecting on wait in hope. Perhaps you might like to say something about waiting, because I think that our society is not good at waiting. Everything is instant, everything happens immediately. And the other thing that I find a great tension, as an organist and choir master, I am busy now preparing for Christmas. And the same thing happens in Lent, I spend a lot of time preparing for Easter. So there's this constant tension in my mind between the two things, yes. trying to concentrate on Advent, but actually I'm thinking about Christmas. Yeah. It's, a, it's an occupational hazard, isn't it? <laughs> I, mean, I think for anybody who, uh, who works at church, whether it's church music or whether it's ministry, that there's a sense in which you're always having to, yes, you're in the present, but a large part of you is also preparing for the next thing. And that, that, can, be, that can be difficult because we're urged to sort of stay in the moment with God, but often at times... Uh, and not just in church. I mean, in our ordinary lives, you know, things we have to prepare for which, uh, which need advanced planning. But um, can I, if I can just do... Um, uh, a, on your, if you look at your book list, um, one of the books I've put down is this year's um, Advent book written by Paula Gooder, who's a very... I know she's been here many, many times speaking and is... Uh, um, a very uh, popular uh, and successful speaker and writer. But her Advent book this year is called, I'm just trying to find my reading list, but it's about waiting. It's precisely this, this point that you're making. So I can't, I can't do any better than suggest that uh, you have a look at her book because she picks up this very, very problem uh, and the difficulty that we have with, with waiting. Um, and through, you know, very gently and um, offering some very helpful uh, practical suggestions and hints of, of helping us to deal with our, our difficulty. But I, I share it. <laughs> yes, it's, I think the title is The Meaning is in the Waiting. The, the Meaning, yes, Advent, yes, that's another, it. Another Canterbury Prayer. That's it, it's... Long, um, sorry, many years ago, I studied college as well. Um, yeah, um, and I am from Eastern Europe. We've got snow and hotter uh, summers, <laughs> and here uh, uh, I experience lots of rain, so I lose uh, seasons altogether. Yes. Other kind of sense of seasons. Um, uh, for me, um, when you started talking um, um, about structure, of course, you, you uh, nowadays uh, people lose structure, so only they have got plans what to do next and. Timetables, I say, but um, I, I would say that um, the Advent in church uh, gives a broader perspective, and maybe we lost in our everyday life this sense of structure. But I think the church gives even more structure, and uh, like. You mentioned that candle. It, it it makes you stop. You know, wait, wait, think, reflect. You know, <laughs> when when you have clearer mind, a prayer, God blessing, and head on. That's right. It's so important, isn't it? Because we we can 
experience enormous help sometimes through what we hear, through what we sing, through what we do here in places like this. And that the challenge is to, to somehow keep that as we go out and get back into the swing of our, our ordinary lives with whatever obligations and uh, duties that and challenges that that has. And I, again, I'd, I'd sort of bring this back to Ronald Blythe and somehow he's, he's found the ability to, to live it as a whole. So he doesn't go into church and then go out and leave it for the rest of the week. Somehow the essence of what that's all about comes with him and informs everything else he's doing. So he doesn't seem afflicted by something that afflicts me a lot with, you know, oh, I've got this to do, don't interrupt me. He's got this knack somehow of finding the interruptions and taking them into, taking them into the, the, the whole so that it all becomes part of the one thing. So yes, bringing, bringing out what we experience in church into our daily lives is so important and so difficult at times, but it's, it's something that we're urged to, yeah, to work at. Any other questions people like to? One thing I've been, uh, do you think that it seems, you know, I've reached that stage in life where you kind of start saying crumbs when I was a child, I remember, but it seems to you that Christmas is coming earlier and earlier each year, is there? Yep. Do you think, <laughs> do we just stand against the tide? I mean, uh, will we ever succeed in trying to uh, recapture Advent, not simply within the church, but in wider society? It's, it's difficult, isn't it? And it feels harder and harder each year. You know, I don't know when I first heard, heard the first carols in the shops this year. Was it mid-October? <laughs> Something like that. It seems to get earlier and earlier every year. And on the one hand, you sort of, sort of think, oh, well, you know, what can I do? Let it carry you along. On the other hand, I think, again, it's a challenge. But I think Advent, it's there. You know, whether or not we allow ourselves to acknowledge it or not, it's there. And if, if we only carve out five minutes with a candle in the darkness of an Advent morning, or whatever an equivalent might be for you, if that's all we do, it's just a tiny little step, which is, in a sense, standing against the tide. And, yeah, not everybody will do it. But in a sense, that doesn't matter. Because although Advent and the coming of Christ is universal, it's also very, very personally for each one of us. And I mean, obviously, much of it we're going to get swept up in and we're, we're, we're going to have to... And a lot of it is very enjoyable and can be part of the anticipation. You know, it's not all doom and gloom and bad news, although I wasn't sure about Black Friday and... Black Weekend and Black Five Days, you know. Um, yeah, so we need to do some discernment within ourselves. And we need also to decide, you know, what we can do. You know, yes, Advent is going to rush me along, but each day, this is what I'm going to do in, um, 
in recognition, in giving myself to it and what it represents. Um, you know, and you know, you can't change the world. None of us can change the world. But we can, you know, take responsibility for our own way of being within it. Yes. I seem to remember maybe it was the seventies. Um, I missed that last bit. I seem to remember, maybe it was in the 1970s, mm. that uh, there was an effort, a national effort, to put Christ back into Christmas. And that was reflected in the kind of Christmas cards. I'm not saying we should copy it, but that was an example of um, a national effort mm. in the 70s, mm. which you were probably not born then. <laughs> <laughs> I wish. <laughs> um, yes, what do I think about these initiatives? Um, I've, I think it's not so much national initiatives that we need as just, I think, each Christian, each church, each fellowship, faithfully living, if you like, the message. Um, it, it, it's, difficult, it's difficult to know what, what communicates with people and what captures their... Um, you know, their, their imagination or, or touches them deeply. But, I mean, hopefully churches are living the putting Christ back in Christmas anyway. Um, and I, th I, think, I think that's what touches... People tend to, I think, respond on a local level, um, maybe sometimes more readily than national initiatives. Um, so I think it, it's the responsibility of each one of us. You know, I don't think it's just the responsibility of the national church. I think it's the responsibility of the local church. But I think it's the responsibility of each one of us with our circle of family and acquaintances. And I don't necessarily mean going and soapboxing it. It's, it's, it's living. It's living it. It's, it's connecting with the call of Christ to each one of us in the depths of our being and then living that out naturally in our, in our lives that they've been given to us. I, I, I think it's as simple and as difficult as that and I think it's both. I've been struck by how in the last decade Her Majesty the Queen's Christmas message has become far more religious yeah. and yet actually people have responded very positively to that and perhaps yeah. that's you know, an appropriate kind of yes. a model for us of a where actually we can talk about our faith Absolutely. at Christmas in an appropriate uh, and sensitive way which recognises the differences in our society yeah. but actually is true to, to who we are and, yeah. and that I think you know, is positively yes. received. That I think I think the Queen's Christmas messages in recent years and it have been hugely powerful because people love her anyway, yeah. and she's become more and more open. I mean, she's always had her Christian faith, yeah. and she's not afraid of sharing it. And as you say, I yeah. think that's a that's actually a tremendous encouragement to. 
to the yes, rest I, of I, us. I read somewhere, I don't know if it's true or not, but, you know, uh, uh, Prince Philip said to her, you know, you've reached that stage in life where you can really say what you <laughs> want to, and, you know, and, and she has. And it's, uh, <laughs> he thought it was to what, yes. I was going to well, as a side note, uh, our, in the States, our Christmas sales went started at the end of July, so it's <laughs> even earlier. But I was, um, I'm, I was really struck by when you said, that looking at the seasons, because my church, I, I come from Las Vegas, which is the last city you think of where we were to find religion and God. And, you know, we, we always, our, our, our season does start in Advent, and this year's theme has been Hope for All, because our church is all about giving back to the community. And, you know, as, as you said, it, it's impossible to do, like, one big swift stroke. So what we, how we try to kind of educate people uh, living is li living through Christ by, you know, going to food shelters, doing Christmas donations, and so forth. And then when you, talk, when you brought up the, uh, how, how, you, how this gentleman was able to incorporate the church life, and kind of how to blend it all together, as a young kid, it's tough for me because I noticed that, you know, a lot of my friends... They'll say, oh, you're doing all these great things. You know, you're posting to Facebook. And I said, yeah, because I'm trying to live the Christ, the, uh, to live like Christ. And then there's all of a sudden, like, whoa, you, you what, this, this whole anti-religious movement. So I thought it was fascinating how, yeah, the Queen's Christmas message has been leaning more towards the religious aspect. And, you know, it's not that I've been trying to soapbox it, per se, but I'm hoping that, you know, my positive example can show that it is possible to live with Christ and create the kingdom here on earth. Absolutely, yeah. And you pick up on a very important point there, that actually living with Christ is, is living the life we've been given to the, the, the fullest extent that, that God wishes for us. And, you know, we, 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 won't, we won't achieve that all the time. Obviously, we're human and we make mistakes and we fail. But it's not about... It's challenging the... Um, the, the, the thoughts and the experiences of people who don't go to church, who somehow think it's something different. And, and when they encounter somebody who's actually living it in their ordinary life, it, it, it sort of brings them up short. And I think makes people think. That, that's, that's what communicates so strongly. And I, I think that's, that's great. Well, can I thank you all very much for uh, coming uh, this afternoon and to thank Barbara for her insights and reflections. I know uh, we have one of her books uh, on sale at the uh, back uh, and Barbara has very kindly uh, offered to sign uh, copies of her uh, book if you uh, buy that. Um, just to say that there'll be no uh, Sunday forum in January. Our next Sunday Forum will be on Sunday the 5th of February when Canon Mark Oakley will speak on A Good Year. And on Tuesday the 7th of February at half past six in the evening, Malcolm Geit will speak on Mariner Samuel Taylor Coleridge and the Voyage of Faith. And that will be up on the cathedral floor. And if you want more information about uh, any of these uh, events, please do visit the Cathedral website or pick up a copy of our programme, which we have here. And our new programme of events will be available in early January. Barbara, thank you so much. Thank it's you. been a pleasure. <laughs>